The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Today we're looking at the name Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. The Lord provides. But to get this name, we have to go to this seemingly bizarre story that we found that uh, Kevin read in Genesis chapter 22. And so I want us to know we're jumping into a story that's already in progress. Okay? We're jumping into a story that's already in progress. And so we pick it up with a father and a son named Abraham and Isaac. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. And so if you open it up, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 10. For those of you using your phones, we are in the CSB version. CSB version. It says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, to whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father... And he replied, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Is anybody else right now going, what the heck is going on? Good. There's a couple of you, because if there was no one else worried, I would be worried for you. There's questions that actually come to my mind at this point. I don't know about you, but here's the questions that come to my mind. What kind of God asks somebody to sacrifice their child? What kind of God asks a dad to do this? He didn't just say, hey, give up my son. He said, I want you to be the one that does this. What kind of things then is God going to ask me to do? Because this is crazy. I mean, why doesn't Abraham object? For that matter, why doesn't Isaac object? His dad is almost 100 years old. Why doesn't he fight back? What does this story have to do with me at all? Why the heck are we reading it at Christmas? (laughs) Why is this even in the Bible? Is it just me? Anybody else have some of these same questions? It's okay to talk back in church, I promise. Lightning will not strike you. (laughs) It's all right. Yeah. Can we be real? This is like, what Bible did you find this in? Pastor and author N.T. Wright says this. He says, the way to faith is always down the road to an enlarged view of God. A view constantly checked and revised in light of the Bible. Without this, the God we worship shrinks into an idol formed by our own imagination Faith in an idol is no faith worth having. God's we can live comfortably with are idols. The reality is, is if there is a God that we can conceive and understand fully, then he is no greater than our own minds. And then he is no God at all. 
I love that last line. Gods we can live comfortably with are idols. So let's enlarge our view of God, shall we? I told you this is a story that we came into right in the middle, that we are, uh, we are in, it's already in progress. So let's do a backstory cut scene here to understand what's actually happening. The nation of Israel doesn't exist at this point. Some years before this, God calls this man named Abram. He would later rename Abraham. And he calls him to leave home, to leave the safety and security of his future with his royal family, to, uh, to leave everything that he's known, to leave the worship of other gods and follow this one true God. This idea of monotheism was, was not something that was widely practiced. This was a, a, a novel idea, a novel concept. It was strange. And so this God to say, leave everything, leave all these gods, leave everything, your family, your security, your future, and follow me. And I'm not even going to tell you where I'm going. It's crazy. He says, leave to become this great nation blessed by God. And God says, I'm going to do all this, but with one caveat, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just start walking, leave everything, all this safety, security, and go. That's the deal. You're going to have to have faith. And God promises, he makes this covenant promise with Abraham that if he goes where God tells him, not only will he become a great nation, but the future Messiah will come from his lineage and rescue all humanity through Abraham's family line. So what does Abraham do? Abraham says, all right. He packs up his wife and his belongings and he follows God into the uncertainty of location, but the certainty of promise. Abraham says, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And listen to this. He, he, he steps into the uncertainty of where he's going, but the certainty of God's promise. Now, on the way, there's a problem. God has promised to make him a great nation. That he's going to bless him that through his line, that Messiah will eventually come and rescue and renew all creation. But Abraham doesn't have any kids. That's kind of a problem. I mean, it was the same problem we have today as we did then. If you don't have kids, that's it. It's no family line. And so Abraham brings this up to God. He goes, uh, God, I know you're going to make me a great nation and all my offspring and stuff, but like, um, I don't have kids and stuff. That's how Abraham talks, just in case you're wondering. It's ancient Hebrew. So God promises Abraham that he and his wife, Sarah, will have a child. Now comes another problem. God promises these children to Abraham, and then nothing happens for like 40 years. Anybody ever experienced that with God? I feel like God said, I'm going to do something, and then where'd you go? You ghosted me. Like you and me, Abraham and Sarah waited for many years, and when nothing happened, they thought, well, maybe God meant it was supposed to be on me to actually accomplish. Maybe he was just telling me what was supposed to happen, and now I'm supposed to actually make this work out. And so uh, Sarah persuades Abraham to take her servant as a wife and try and have a child through her. And it works. But God isn't happy because that's not the way that God intended it to be. And so God comes to them and says, you should have trusted me. It's going to happen the way that I said. And now we have this problem because we have this other child that is in the mix. And finally, when God's promised child is born, Abraham is almost 100 and Sarah is 90 years old. Now, just in case you're not sure, it's not like they were 40 and just looked 90, you know, or 100. Uh, I, one of the... Somebody said something to me like, you're married 25 years. What are you, six? Uh, the beauty of being Asian is that I look really young, but the bad part is that overnight I turn 900. There is no in-between for me, right? The good news at the end of that, I'll know Kung Fu, so that's, that's pretty cool. But uh, no, it, it wasn't like they looked 90 to 100. They were 90 and 100 years old. 
That was just as weird then as it is today. Like, this is not normal. This was a miracle of God and something that was very unusual. And so this was a problem. Now you have these two kids. And so God's promise is fulfilled. They have the son named Isaac. And there's this big debate over who is the, the child that is going to be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like I got this from Telemundo and not from the Bible, right? It's crazy. If you're taking notes today, this is our first observation. Our first observation is this, is that God is our provider, but will always require us to love him over the gifts that he gives us. God is our provider, but will always require us to love him over his gifts. Abraham gets this twisted, and he creates this huge problem between the sons. Now, the, the, the issue is, which son is the rightful heir to this covenant promise, this promise of God to bless and to, 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 uh, to, to grow into a great nation? In ancient times, the firstborn had the right. They got three quarters of all of the inheritance, and then any child, at the secondborn got the, the next 25%, and then any child after that had to rely on the firstborn to provide for so if you have 10 kids, firstborn son gets three quarters, he runs the family, secondborn son gets a quarter, and then any other kid has to make sure that the firstborn, they're in good graces of the firstborn, because otherwise they get nothing. That's what happens. And so what would have happened is the firstborn, if it went just by what looks, it would have been Ishmael, because he was through Abraham and the servant, and then he would have had control over the family. But God had said, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. And so he says, Isaac is the one that's going to be the receiver of the covenant promise. He's the true firstborn. But because Ishmael is from Abraham's line, God promises to bless Ishmael and make him a thriving nation of people as well. However, they will always be at war against each other. And we actually see that still today. So here's the deal. Why does this matter? It matters because when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the true firstborn son, the son of the covenant promise, his only son. He's not just telling him to give up his son. He's actually telling him to give up the promise of being blessed. This isn't just about the son. This is about the, the, the covenant blessing that God has promised. He's saying, hey, I know I promised you that. I want you to give that up as well. And so we have to keep in mind that Abraham not only loved Isaac, he needed him. Because God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham to bless him and make him a great nation, the future Messiah would come from rest entirely on the life of Isaac. Tony Evans, in his book, The Power of God's Names, writes, Abraham suddenly finds himself in a mess of contradictions. He's in a theological contradiction because God's instruction goes against the promise of a future nation and a mandate not to kill. He's in an emotional contradiction as his faith now collides with his affections. He's facing a social contradiction because he'll never become a great name in his community if he kills his son. And he's also in a relational contradiction because sacrificing Isaac would create great conflict in his marriage. Abraham, Tony writes, is up the creek without a paddle. He's in a big-time trial. Trials are adverse circumstances that God introduces or allows in order to identify where we are spiritually and prepare us for where he wants us to go. If you are alive, you can't escape life's trials. You are either in a trial now, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. Trials are unavoidable realities of life. And so I don't want us to miss what this is all about. This is a huge moment in Abraham's life and ultimately in ours as well. 
God is asking Abraham to love God more than that promise, more than the promises that God has given to bless him, more than the reasons he's left everything for. I mean, literally, he's given up everything and he stepped out in faith. He's walked into the unknown. He's made all of the sacrifice and, and God is saying, hey, I, I want you to love me more than what I promised you for those things. That's a big deal. To love God truly, we have to love him for who he is and not what he can give us. Pastor Tim Keller asks this question all the time. I love it. He says, would you want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Meaning the, the security, the safety, the hope, the, 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 all the things that we picture heaven to be. No sickness, no crying, no death. And he goes on to say, there is no heaven if Jesus isn't there. But sometimes we get that messed up. We start thinking about all these things of, of, of what the future hope might be. And we miss that it's Jesus. And it's only fulfilled in Jesus. This is the battle that Abraham is wrestling with in the midst of this. Some of us are facing these very trials right now in our lives. And in moments like these, as we're facing these trials, it helps us to remember who God is and what he's done, who that makes us, and, and what we are supposed to do in light of all that. You see, God has already given us all of himself, as we're about to see. So let's cut back to our story. The next thing we need to know to understand what's happening here is about the location itself. The location is on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is not a single peak mountain, but kind of a sloping mountain that extends out away. How do I know? Because I've been there, and Pastor Samir and his family are from there. Let me show you a picture. It's the Temple Mount, the city of Jerusalem. That is Mount Moriah. The place Abraham is instructed to sacrifice his son Isaac and where God miraculously provided a lamb to be sacrificed in Isaac's place is the same place the temple would later be built. It's the same mountain that Jesus would be crucified on, where he was buried, where he rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. It's the same mountain, Mount Moriah. What's important to remember here is how much Abraham trusted in God and his promises. Look at his responses. He leaves everything to follow God, even though he doesn't know where God will take him. Author Joseph Excel says it like this. He says, the one, this one central law of the divine kingdom was revealed to Abraham at the first. When he was summoned by the call of principle to leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house, the faith of Abraham, whereby he obeyed that voice, was simply the submission of his soul to the ruling principle of love expressed in self-sacrifice. In other words, Abraham shows his love for God through his submission to God's will over his own. When God asked him to sacrifice everything, what did he do? Verse 3, he got up early, saddled the donkey, and left to be obedient. He gets up, and he moves right into what God called him to do. Take a look at verse 5 again. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and what? We'll come back to you. He says, we. Abraham knows God can do anything, but he believes and trusts him enough to be obedient even when he doesn't have the full picture or understand completely the reasons behind what he's told to do. And guess what? Isaac's a teenager at this point. His dad is over 100 years old. The next thing we see is that the son is bound. How does that happen? We have to imagine it wasn't by force. We don't know what Isaac understood 
But we understood at some point that Isaac must have also been obedient, even when it seemed crazy, even at the cost of his own life. So what happens? Isaac's found on the altar. Abraham has the knife in the air. Let's pick this story back up in verse 10. We'll move to 18. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. And now you know all that it entails when it says that. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and looked. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. That is a promise of the coming Messiah. In verse 14, we finally get to see this name that, God show, that shows God's character and his promise. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the second observation for the day. He is the God who provides. He is the God who provides. Abraham gives God this name, Jehovah Jireh, because this is the nature and the character that Abraham experienced of God. Now, God included this in his holy word as an affirmation of who he is and what he has done. But, but, but this story isn't just a weird story from a couple thousand years ago. This story is more than that. It actually relates to us. It's relevant to us right now. You see, after this incident, God would go on to reaffirm his promise and his covenant with Abraham. What was that promise? That God promised Abraham that if he will worship God as the only God, that if Abraham is obedient and goes where God tells him, not only will he become the great nation, but the future Messiah will come to rescue and renew all humanity through the person and work of Jesus. Just like Abraham was asked to take his son to Mount Moriah, God would later bring his own son to the same mountain to complete the sacrifice once and for all. In fact, check out the symbolism in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Do you notice the wood that he had to carry on his way to the sacrifice? Jesus is the true and better Isaac who carried the wood for his own sacrifice. Just like Isaac, Jesus was innocent, but the father didn't save his own son like he did for Abraham. Jesus wasn't spared so that we could be. In a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done, all of us are Isaac laying on the altar. It's one of the reasons that Jesus also has the name, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And in acknowledging that God is Jehovah Jireh, who has provided for us, we, like Abraham, can see and show that we completely understand that God will provide. If you're taking notes today, this is the third and final observation. What do we do with that? What do we do with this? Here's our observation. Faith and trust are always tied to obedience. Faith and trust are always tied to obedience. There is always, I will say this, I've said it before, I'll always say it, that the gospel always demands a response. When we see and experience God, there there requires something to happen. Do we trust God? Do we have faith in God? Do we know the difference between trust and faith? 
Some of us don't know this. Trust says, I believe what you're saying, and I'm going to follow it because I believe it will come true. Faith says, I have no idea the outcome, and I'm still going to believe you are who you say you are. There are times when God asks us to trust him. Abraham, you're definitely going to have a kid. And Abraham gets to see that fulfilled. That's trust. And there are times when we have to have faith in him. Abraham, go. I'll tell you later where you're going. That's faith. We don't know the outcome, but we, we believe God is who he says he is. But in both cases, there will always be an action or response on our part. Abraham had to go. We will be required to act only in that faith or trust. And that's all that we'll have to hold on to. Do we have trust in and faith in God this much, even when it doesn't make sense? Can we acknowledge that God is our Jehovah Jireh, that he is our provider? Because most often this is what it comes down to, isn't it? God, will you be who you said you're going to be? And sometimes we say, God, if you'll just provide for me first, then I'll trust you. If you give me more money, then, then I'll know that you're there. I'll, I'll be more generous with my time. If you, if you make things easier, then, then I know that you're with me. I can see your blessing. And the truth is it doesn't work that way. That we have to have faith before we know the outcome. The Bible says in James 2, 18 and 20, someone will say, you have faith and I've got works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Paul even uses Abraham as an example of this in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he set out for a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he didn't know where he was going. And skipping down to verse 12, it says, Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, an old man is what he's saying, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Why? Because he isn't just talking about the Jews. He's talking about the church. The church came from Abraham. And so submitting to Jehovah Jehovah Jireh is always hard, especially when we don't understand or know where he's leading us. But the fact that God has and will provide for our biggest need, which is raising us up from spiritual death to spiritual life, means that we can trust him in the smaller things that are not eternal. Amen? pray. Lord, you are our provider. You are our Jehovah Jireh. You have given us everything that we need. You have provided for our eternity as we apprentice you. And so we thank you that you knew that, that you did that at such great cost to yourself. Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust in you, to have faith in you even when we don't understand, even when it seems crazy, even when it seems to go against our natural instincts, understandings, or desires, we pray that we would put you first, that we would be faithful and obedient to trust because you are good, you are faithful, you are a provider. We thank you.